Welcome to Houndsy, the Steel Ray Podcast. I'm Dan Yost, and with me this fine, fine Wednesday evening to discuss a 1-0 win over Tulsa, a packed house at Highmark Stadium, and some other fun little odds and ends. I got uh, two swell guys with me here. First off, it's uh, Stevie Storino. Storino, you were out of town last weekend. How'd that work out for you? Oh, it worked out great. Took the dog camping for the first time with the Meerkat trailer, and uh, he loved it. Had a blast. Fortunately, I didn't get to watch much of the game, but uh, had a good time. Had a good time. That's why they record them for uh, for viewing at a, later, uh, at a later time. Yeah, absolutely. I watched highlights for a while, and was amazed by the crowd, but we can get into that stuff later. But yeah, but, uh, solid game. I'm bummed I missed it. But you're saying it was success with the, uh, with the dog, and you'll be doing it again. Absolutely. Nice. Yeah, hopefully not missing another home game. Uh, but yes, absolutely. We'll be taking him back. And also with us to discuss all things hounds, it's the yak. What good, my yak? What is good? I was at the game, and I would like to discuss how we're going to win the league now. Uh, go on. We're great. Every other team sucks. And uh, I have all the confidence in the world uh, that I had back in like uh, April or May or so. So uh, let's freaking go. So you're, you're confident that the, um, the, the shitty month of June is, is well in the, in the past? It is. Yeah. Yeah. There's some slight misplaced confidence, but overall, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to be super optimistic again. All right, I roll with it. I think uh, I think the past two weeks has has gone a long way to easing those fears. When you're you can win, not necessarily win easy, but but still get the job done. Uh, but that included this past weekend where the Hounds hosted Tulsa for the first time ever. Yes, ever. First time ever. 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 Forever and ever. Ever. Yeah. One uh, 0 <laughs> for the good guys. Uh, the starting lineup was Waite, Wheat, Ordonez, Williams along the back. Dixon, Forbes, Griffin, Dos Santos. Uh, and then Mertz. And then Dequan Cicerone up top. Uh, looked most like a 3-4-1-2. But the right side being that of Dixon and Wheat pushing a little further up the field. Which kind of spread out Ordonez and Williams a little bit. Um, which kind of came into play. Uh, on the the counter that Tulsa had, but we can get in that in a little bit here, guys. That's uh, that starting lineup when it came out, which it did come out early. If you have fought mob or something like that, um, second time this year that that's happened. Even though they had what like a like a three five one one or something crazy like that as the as the formation. But yeah, when you saw that lineup, what uh, what were your first thoughts? Um, the offense is going to be always of interest every time the lineup comes up now. Now that we have. He's, uh, and to a certain degree, Mertz, who's been playing very high. It, it's not so much, uh, who, I know who the best two or three players in that position is. It's, okay, what two or three of the four or five are going to play up there today? Um, going with Cicero and Dequa, I kind of liked it. I was, I'm a fan of that more than anybody else. Um, and Mertz kind of replaced Forbes up high uh, and pushed him back to his more typical midfield position. Uh, those are the notes I came up with the formation, with the uh, the initial lineup announcement. 
yeah, it uh, I, to me, I think that's one of the more at least immediately noticeable things. Thing was what you mentioned with Mertz getting a little more advanced and pushing Forbes back into not necessarily a more of a holding role, but uh, definitely a, a bit more stay at home than what he's been tasked to do up until this point of the year. And it, I'm generally a fan of it. I think just on what Forbes offered in years past when he was playing a little bit further back, moving up was probably a, a byproduct of just the, the players also on the roster. But that was one of the first things that stood out to me as well is how those two guys are going to play in relationship to each other. Uh, Storino, again, you weren't weren't there. We're enjoying the uh, the beautiful nature. Um, but when you saw that lineup and then saw the first part of the game, what uh, anything stood out to you? Uh, I think it's a this lineup is a big uh, step in the right direction as far as the kind of you know we've been joking earlier in the season, kind of names in the hat, who's going to play this week, any given position. Um, Ordonez is probably the only player realistically, uh, I was surprised by just strictly because Peters was on the bench. Um, to me, I think if Peters starts over Ordonez any given night, um, but outside of that, I think it's a pretty solid lineup with Mertz back. I'm not surprised to see him in the starting lineup. So, um, that kind of, I just assumed was going to happen, uh, more often than not, I, I figured his, you know. His, his spot on the starting 11 is pretty secure for the rest of the season. Um, but outside of that, no, this was, uh, this was pretty solid. Um, some of that confidence that Yak has, um, I would say this is this is the starting lineup that wins the league. Yeah, more confident than I am, for sure. Uh, the other part that stood out to me before we get into anything specifically during the game uh, in terms of actual play uh, it was Dane Kelly that came in for Dequa after Dequa scored the goal. About 10 minutes after he scored, he got subbed off. Uh, Kizza ended up being unused from the bench Saturday night. Is it safe to assume that that is kind of our our depth chart in terms of, of the furthest advanced striker? I mean, I, Cicerone can, can play up there a little bit sometimes, but he's usually not the guy all the way up at the top, but are we assuming it, it that depth chart will fall Dequa, Dane, and Kizza? Or am I reading too much into essentially one game? For the three that for the three knowns that we have, yes. I think it's still too early for me to say what Kiza offers us and where we can stick him in. Uh I had this issue when it was announced that we got him from the Revolution loan. I don't know where he fits in yet. I kind of liked him the the last game he played. He came on for about twenty minutes, um, in against Hartford. But I, it, it wasn't enough for me to say like, okay, I like him for this many minutes, or I like him in this spot or in this usage yet. Yeah, it's certainly not enough to figure out how we're going to like him. Uh, you think, you know, Bob has been eyeing this guy up for a while, as we found out, so probably is a better idea of where he sees, sees him slotting in. But I guess my concern was, 
if he's leaving Memphis and then coming here, clearly New England expects him to get more minutes or else not make the change at all. And so I guess I was concerned maybe he was going to get slotted ahead of some other players just for a requirement to see enough game time to justify the move. Uh, so him not coming off the bench surprised me in that regard, if that makes sense. Um, Storino, does uh, any of this make sense to you so far? or uh, you guys I think I agree with both well? of you guys. Yeah, uh, both, exactly what both of you guys said. I mean, the guy does show promise, but you still just kind of scratch your head as to what was he brought in for. Um, you know, so much firepower up top. Where do you where do you slot the guy in? So, now nah, I think what both of you guys said, you know, was spot on. Uh, before the Hounds went up one nil, they uh, had a uh, really the only scare that Tulsa gave gave all gave during the entire game. A uh, bit of a counterattack, uh, defense pushed the ball quickly for for Tulsa. Got on the end of it there. Uh, and then Williams, after kind of unsuccessfully getting a tackle at first, has, with his back away from goal, basically has a, a goal line clearance to preserve the nil-nil scoreline at that point. And I've watched this thing a dozen times or more, and I'm still not convinced or sure how he, how the hell he actually did that. Um, yeah, the have you been able to break this down better than I have? Because it just the way his body is positioned, the, the angle of the ball coming in, and how central in front of the net that they are, I just don't get how he he's able to one take it out of play, but take it out of play not into the goal. Yeah, the body positions uh, is something to, to talk about here because I don't know how he angled himself to see the ball. And and get in front of it in a way, and he he kicks it somehow with his off foot above the crossbar. When I didn't think there was any more room left, and this is after him running like 50 yards as the last defender, the lone defender back on this two-on-one break, and it's it's his best play of the season by by a lot. I I've kind of been on his case. He's probably my least favorite player that pops into the game as often as he does on the Hounds roster, but he saved a goal that I can't really believe that he did. And he was the only guy back. It was a two on one for like 40 yards. And he almost came up with the tackle to stop it entirely. And the, the, like the, like torque or the whatever to get his, like his, his side and his, his leg up in the right position is fabulous. It's amazing. It, it, it re- and this guy sound terrible, but I don't even care at this point because he's also in the news this week. Him putting that ball out of play from that close to the goal line was was Corey Herzog esque. <laughs> I was waiting. I figured that was going to be a comparison, brought up. <laughs> I mean, it's if I had the time and 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 the, the give a damn, I'd I'd get the side by side of of that that Herzog miss on our side of the field, and then the the Williams. Uh, clearance from from last Saturday and they would look pretty damn similar uh, in terms of body position and and where that ball goes if I was playing FIFA and my opponent did that to me I'd either rage quit the game or throw my controller at the TV 
because that looked like a glitch. I've watched it myself. I didn't watch the game live, but I've watched that replay multiple times as well, and I can't figure out how the ball goes straight up in the air. Yeah. I would have launched my controller. I, I mean, I, I would have been like, you know, fuck this game, I'm done, and I would have just quit. <laughs> so. But uh, but luckily, uh, he did some 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 goofy ass shit to keep the score uh, scoreless. And then just a bit later, well, uh, on the other half of the uh, of halftime, we get this beauty of an Albert Dequa goal. And I will simply pose the question like this for both you and Sterino. You can go first here. Of the four aspects of the goal, uh, rank them by the order of impressiveness. And they are Griffin's touch and pace on the goal line, Cicerone's one touch to Dixon, Dixon's two-touch layoff, under pressure, and then Deke was finish. Most, wow. most right. least impressive. That's a very one, two, loaded three, question. It is a very loaded question because they're all pretty damn good. Yeah, I don't know that I have a least impressive. Um, I'd have to probably watch it and break it down and tell you it as I'm watching it because I don't know that I could do that just off the top of the dome right now, to be honest with you. But if I were to say the most impressive impressive part was Griffin's touch. If I were to give one as the most impressive, okay. I'm going to say Griffin. Um, try to see if I can piece this together. Let's see. Um, I will be honest. I'm struggling to give you anything that's worse than, I don't know. They're, they're all pretty equal. All right, I'm going to say come in for the save. Or, yeah, okay. go ahead. Yeah. Take it over. I agree. Uh, I kind of wrote in my notes, Griffin's play might be like his magnum opus as a hound. I don't know how he got away from the defender in the corner and kept it in. He did some kind of like pass to himself and shipped it with his body twice, I guess, to, to pop it over the defender. And then and still, get, and then still gets two, like two strides clear of the defender. with Like within three strides, he's two strides clear of him. Yeah. What the yeah. fuck? It's, it, it's, it's marvelous. It's amazing. And then the next I want to say is... Is Dequa's no, not not Dequa. Uh, Dixon's touch, which is basic, which it really looks really simple. So maybe it's not as hard, but like the, the defender on Dixon, Dixon is wearing this guy. This guy is all on top of the back on his back. Dixon's back is to the goal. There's a billion people around him. It's a bunch of nonsense, and he just has this subtle little touch in the tightest of spaces that's not too far away. That. Dequa, who's already in stride, like it's going to overrun the ball. Like he accepts it so gracefully because Dixon just got the most precise of, of of speeds to get it around the people around him, even with just a little bit of the the back heel touch. So I'm gonna put Dixon two and then probably the finish for third. And somehow I'm ranking Cicerone's one touch to on, on his off foot with the curve as as the last, the, the least impressive part of this goal. But this goal was awesome from start to finish. Totally yeah, agree. I have my order is the same as, as yours. I go uh, Griffin's touch and pace, Dixon's layoff, uh, Dequa's finish, and then Cicerone the one touch pass, which again it, it feels a bit criminal because all four parts are insanely impressive. Um, ironically, Griffin's play on on the goal line. Reminds me of Corey Herzog's best goal as a hound when he went through like four defenders on the goal line. So we'll give him equal, uh, I guess, equal representation of being 
uh, moments of brilliance and moments of, of absolute shit. But Corey Hartzog, again, you know, a lot of chat on, on Hounsie in the year of 2022. <sighs> yeah, but uh, to me, it, it might be one of the most impressive goals the Hounds have had certainly this year, if not in in the the Lily era. Um, just the number of, of players involved, the individual skill of, of multiple players coming together, and then just the positioning and, and the beauty of the beautiful game. Uh, making that goal happen. And it's... Um, yeah, one of the fun ones. Really, just a fun goal for the year, and yeah, that holds up as the winner. It basically shows how how talented as how many talented attack-minded players we have on the team because because so many of them are utilized there and they can just play such pretty soccer with that stuff. It just they just they just don't have as many goals to show for it, but that one was icing on the cake. Uh, the air part, this was the, the hometown return of Robbie Mertz. He saw 80 minutes of action as a starter. Uh, we talked about him a little bit, uh, kind of taking Forbes' position of being the most forward of midfield players. Uh, yeah, what, uh, what stood out to you about the, the return of Mertz? Um, I, li- I like having Mertz back because... Where where he played instead of Forbes, he's much quicker. So he can he can hop off to either left or right side when we're really starting to hem ourselves in on offense. And he's he's much better at overloading a side because he can get there at, at a speed that Forbes really can't anymore. Um, he's also super good on the counterattack. Um, so having him there again, I thought maybe it was like, what are we really changing? We're just adding another player that's good, but Mertz is adding something, and he's had he's had great crosses. He's al- he's already making plays that I think he's not really looking at. like like he's he is not seeing where a player is, but he's passing it there because he's already used to where he expects players to be in the system or what he's doing. So he's he's going and really uh, efficiently, I guess, for for lack of a better word. And I've I've really liked his game so far in the hundred or so minutes that he's played. Storino, you think uh, the Ryan Mertz acquisition was was it going for for the beloved? Yeah, Bob knew what he was doing. Uh, he could see that Forbes was just you know just slowing down a little bit. I think uh, looking at you know the talent pull out there, um, he went with who was familiar. Uh, not that you know Mertz was necessarily free agent or something like that but i mean i guess he you know kept in touch with mertz as you know as far as we're aware and uh figured bring the boy back let him take over that forbes role me personally i think danny griffin probably is a little bit better in that position where mertz played but i mean mertz did a hell of a job so it can't knock him either um pre-game i probably would have put danny there but i mean seeing the results it all worked out anyway so no, Mertz is, Mertz is back. I mean, he's he's fitting exactly as expected. I guess we can now rehash this question from, from late 2019. Uh, or I guess, should I say late, late 2020. Uh, Robbie Mertz, future Hounds captain. Yay, nay. 
Sure. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, Could assuming be. assuming he's back next season, I would say yeah. Yak. Yeah, yeah, he he will be because he, assuming he does not go, does not make the jump to MLS or another bigger league, I still think that that door is not shut yet. It just wasn't going to happen with Atlanta. It's again. That's the question has been answered. What? How long is the Mertz? How long is Mertz committed to Pittsburgh? Is it the end of this year? Or is it beyond the twenty twenty two? That getting an answer to that question would uh, probably go a long ways and and let us know. Uh, yeah, just what's the ambition of Ryan Mertz and what's Mertz's ceiling here in Pittsburgh in terms of of being kind of the face of of the club going forward. This was- this was discussed, I assume, last week. I, actually, maybe not. Yeah, maybe last week. Um, but what was the wording around his his like return it was, tweet and it phrasing? Was a, Is he transferred? It was a like, transfer. Do still have the same contract? So he was on a one-year deal with uh, Atlanta, too. Um, there was some scuttlebutt in the background that he already had an, an agreement in place to sign with the first team next year. Clearly, that has gone sideways. If that was the if that was the case, um, but it, so it wasn't a trade. So it was a transfer. So that should indicate that a new deal was signed in the transfer. So is that just take him through the end of this year, or is that go next year, option years, all those things? Who knows? Because uh, the the Hounds press release did not clarify. Okay, I'm going to lean. Then is it's. Similar to like Danny Griffin's deal, where Danny was only going to come back if he did not have the the club option. He, he wants the flexibility after the end of the year to see if somebody bigger comes along. Yeah, it's the first time that the Hounds have ever done, at least in the Bob year, where, where they were not explicit about the length of the deal, mm-hmm. which is kind of annoying and a bit houndsy. But yes, uh, Storino, any any final thoughts on this game? Uh, no, no, honestly, no, nothing. I mean, bummed I missed it, I guess is really about all I could say. <laughs> yeah, anything on your notes you want to want to share with the class? Uh, to do a stat that kind of stuck out to me uh, was corners. Hounds had eight to one and crosses. None were goals. Th- yeah, crosses were 25 to six in favor of the Hounds. And they had a 28% uh, cross completion rate, which is very, very high. It's amazing that they only actually came out with one goal out of that. But the offense, I thought, was humming at times. It was very pretty. Indeed. Uh, yeah, it was a great night. It was a packed house, as we kind of mentioned. The attendance was 5,073. Uh, so over the, the official sellout uh, mark of, of 5,000. Again, we've probably said this multiple times, they will uh, they will probably never stop selling tickets to a game. They'll just keep packing them in. Seats be damned. Um, and it shouldn't have been a huge surprise that it, it was well attended. Bigger game. The damn near perfect weather of it being not too hot. Not humid. Uh, no real threat of rain. So really ideal weather. Uh, and then the return of, of Mertz, which who knows how much that impacts ticket sales, but certainly went impacted negatively. So 
I was expecting a decent crowd. What threw me off as being different this time is people kept pulling up the Ticketmaster seating chart uh, map. And by early on Saturday, the grandstand was essentially sold out. And the only thing left were uh, the GA tickets uh, in the Paul Child stand. And so this wasn't going to be a huge crowd that came because of day of walk-up. This was going to be a, a large crowd based on people buying tickets in advance. And to me, that's a new one because they always, to me, the formula was team is good, weather is good, not other big event conflicts in the city. They can get a good crowd. This was people buying tickets in advance. And that, to me, is very optimistic for the future of the Hounds ticket sales-wise. That they can now pull this crowd not reliant on, on day-of walk-up sales. Um, guys, are, am I reading too much into one ticket master map on one day? Or could could it be a potential that the Hounds have turned the corner or started to turn a corner on on attendance and not being so weather dependent. Uh, Storino? I think a decent amount of people realize that the uh, Pirates aren't the draw that they used to be. You can have a lot more fun at a Hounds game and actually see a team win or at least be very competitive. Um, get a beautiful view of the city just like you can at a Pirates game. Generally, overall, it's a cheaper night, so I don't know. I think it's I think I think it's time to really start thinking about some sort of expansion. Um, hopefully, you know, close to a packed house is really consistent. I know, I know. I uh, me personally, I got a bunch of friends that have actually just kind of, you know, jumped in and they're now regularly attending games, and most of them are part of the Steel Army now. And there's some people there that I would never expect to even go to a Hounds game, so they're having a blast. And I mean. As long as the team keeps winning, it's going to keep drawing people. The Mertz effect, I mean, that rate there is probably about 50 or 60 tickets. So just on his family. So, yeah, Hounds keep winning. Crowd keeps coming. Yeah, what does what does over 5,000 sold not walk-up crowd say to you? Um, I've, I've seen that the – on occasion, on the on the day of the game, that I'll look on Ticketmaster and I'll see the grandstand essentially sold out like it was this week. And I don't know entirely what that means because throughout most of the week, it was still very open. Very blue. And I, yes. And I I don't think something happened like a bunch of people bought tickets like two or three days beforehand. I think it's just a matter of the Hounds managed to distribute them, sell them in a manner to all the the clubs that came because it was, it was kids night. It was a bunch of kids that day. Um, it is awesome that we, no matter the weather, no matter the weather, because it was like essentially perfect that we got, we had now have two sellouts on random ass Saturdays that mean relatively nothing aside from the fact that it was a really nice weather day and the hounds are playing well. They sold out against Atlanta and that's not a draw. Tulsa's not a draw. So not wait, so actually, good. so the, 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 I didn't even think about that. The link between those two games is Robbie Mertz. I was, yeah, I was just but about to many, say that. How many could that actually be, though? Like, that, that's got to no, be. No, I don't think it, it, I don't think it, I think it's, it's, uh, I think it's. Coincidence. Yeah, coincidence, not correlation, but um, it's just funny. 
It, it is a little fun, but like at the most, the Mertz, the, the, the Mertz cinematic universe is selling less than 200 <laughs> tickets. We're not selling out because of Robbie Mertz, at least not because of his family, I don't think. But I do want to note something. Saturday was fireworks night at PNC Park, and it was the biggest Pirates game in six years. And we sold out despite that. Wow. Good, good grab there. So we, yeah. So that kind of negates exactly what I just said as my point. So, wow, that's really impressive then. But still, I mean, biggest crowd in, what you said, six years? That's still. Yeah, norm, normally to get the big bump, like, oh, 4,500, 4,800, it normally takes the, um, the hounds, the pirates being away. But we did all that despite the pirates also selling out their game, which wow. is very, very awesome to see. Uh, the other thing I want to point out here is kind of where attendance sits this year compared to the last couple of years. Anyone on Reddit or Twitter, uh, Mike Pendleton down in Tampa always puts together his attendance graphics for the entire league, uh, which is insane work on his part. And he's been doing it since Tampa's coming to the league, I believe. So he's been at it for a while. Uh, he didn't have – I had to do the math to, to get us – over this last day because he hasn't put out the, the graphic for for this week. But after 11 dates, the Hounds now sit at an average of 3,762. Uh, last year, the attendance average was uh, 3,101. And go back to 2019, attendance was 3,375. So attendance is, is marketably up in that kind of high teens range. Um, and then I want to pat myself on the back. Because back in before the season started, we did all those, we did all those questions, uh, right about this, that, whatever, and I set the the over under on on average attendance at thirty eight hundred, and they now sit at thirty seven sixty two. Boom! I thought you were dumb when you put that as the over under. I thought there was no chance for getting that. And fight because I'm the only person. I mean, yeah, you you weren't on that episode. Everyone else right. said said over. I said under. Oh, um, but yeah, I mean, we we could end up pretty close to that number, uh, or they the hounds just get hot for these past for these next six games for the next yeah six, and they blow past uh, seven the, seven, and they blow past these uh, thirty eight hundred mark, which would also be cool. Yeah, I I, I think they will. Because we're going to have more better attended games at the end of the season because better weather slash fall means playoffs than the, the, the crappy, snowy, well, not snowy, but rainy and bad stuff in the spring. We'd have to look at what, um, if there's any Penguins overlap coming at the end of the year. That's the only thing that I might play, work against the Hounds. But who knows? Anyways, I'm just, I was very proud that my 3,800 is looking uh, like a pretty good line to be set at. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about uh, is the, not curious case, but there has been a, a hound who's been starting damn near every game, and we never discuss this guy. And that would be Arturo Ordonez. Uh, in my opinion, this came up because someone was, asked me about him at the last game, and my my initial thought, and the stats don't bear it out, so I, I won't um, 
I won't drive that point home, but I was saying he's Arturo Ordonez is the replacement level USL defender. He does nothing too poorly, doesn't do anything that makes him stand out in a good way. He is your replacement level USL defender. Now the stats uh, indicate that he's much better than that, but uh, he's a guy we never discuss. He he shows up, brings the lunchbox, does the job, goes home, and for the most part, you don't think much about him. Um, a quick look at the stats. Including the Open Cup, he's started 22 of 24 matches. He's only been subbed off once. He sits at a 61% tackle success rate, uh, averages 3.5 clearances and 2 interceptions per game, and has only had one error that has directly led to an opposition goal and has one goal on three shots. So my question to you, and I'll start with, uh, with you, Storino, is the fact that he isn't discussed often generally a good thing for a defender, or is there still something more he needs to do to kind of elevate his his standing with the Hounds? I think everything you just threw out there actually makes the case that it's actually good that he's not discussed. He's doing his job. Maybe goes unnoticed a little too much. Um, but yeah, I think he's just a plug-and-play player for pretty much any given team on uh, in the USL. Um, he definitely seems like... You know, I just look because you said that, and I'm like, man, I wonder if he's played for a handful of teams. He's not. So you would think he sounds kind of like a journeyman, but he's really not. He's a rookie. Um, he's a pit guy. He is. Yeah, he just I, graduated from pit. Yeah, the way you talked about him, I was expecting to pull up. Oh, he's already played for two or three other teams. Um, I guess I never really researched him too, too much. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, he. I think it's a good thing. Um, he stays low-key, does his job. Maybe nothing – too wow, too much of a wow factor, but you know, you you wonder what it would be like if he wasn't there. Yak is is the fact that we don't discuss Arturo Ordonez uh, more of speaking to to what he does, or speaking to us not doing a good job of recognizing what he does. That uh, mostly the second one, which I think his his job is just like lunch in a pail type stuff. He's he he's not flashy. He's not the fastest dude in the world. He doesn't make a ton of like amazing tackles. He's not. He's he's just a rock back there. I think he's our best defender. Um, per per the USL tactics, dude. He they are listing Artur as our best defender. He's one of the upper twenty percent of the league. He's not going to compete for like um, end of season awards like our last great center back, Joe Greenspan. But he's very good and he's only a rookie he could be he could grow a lot more from just this season but he's proven to me by the lack of the times that we have to address what he's doing game in game out that he belongs he he anchors this defense like we haven't seen in a couple seasons now does it also matter not that you necessarily need your your center backs popping in goals but does it help now that there's other players on the back line making that contribution that he doesn't necessarily have to to do that as well, if there's other, you know, taller, big bodies on the back that can that can come up and poach a goal off off a corner, off a set piece, join join the attack like we did two weeks ago. Um, does that take not necessarily? Well, I guess we'll say pressure for the lack of a better phrase. Does that take pressure off of Ordonez to have that offensive contribution? Because I do. I from do a defensive core, they're already getting it done elsewhere. I think it kind of helps because I don't think he has a, a ton of offensive prowess. And I, I, when we signed him, 
it seemed like, oh, there's this giant dude and a bunch of midfielders who are good at crossing the ball. He's going to get lots of chances on set pieces or corners. And that hasn't happened. It would be nice to have a couple from him. But if it's not coming from him, but it now it's starting to come from the the outside backs or or something, then you know that's that's something you need to worry about. And he can worry about doing what what is what he does best, which is stopping players from getting anywhere close to goal and being great in the air on defense. The other, not other big news, but the the bit of news that came out uh, in the past day or two, I guess yesterday. Now this came out. Uh, Robbie Dambrot now no longer with the Hounds. He was granted his release. Uh, they gave the kind of mutually agreed to terminate uh, the contract. And you don't think much about it. And then two hours later, he is uh, announced to be with Indy, who the Hounds play this week. Uh, so I guess reading between the the lines there, he probably asked to to be released so he could sign with a team that will play him more than the Hounds had. Uh, kind of the stat line on, on Dan brought five appearances, three starts, and then two other times he was an unused sub. Uh, after the first two weeks, you're thinking he's a, a for-sure starter, uh, played well, had the goal. Uh, all of us on, on here on Hounds, you were kind of talking him up as, as the player that really stood out to be uh, kind of a future star for the Hounds, uh, and then it kind of it went south, and not not kind of went south. It went south. Uh, the turning point would have been the game at Vegas. He got hooked off after 36 minutes, which anytime that happens, uh, when Bob does it, someone that's usually not a a one week type of thing. That's usually a, a really bad sign for that player. Uh, and that became, became the, the de facto changing of the guard to uh, Nathan Dos Santos getting that left-back spot. And since that time in Vegas, he only had one other appearance, and that was for 19 minutes uh, in El Paso back in mid-May. Um, so that becomes the Robbie Dambrot as a hound file. Uh, start with you, Yak, because you're a good Duque man. Uh, what yeah, are your I thoughts on, on Dambrot to Indy? Uh, well, it, hmm. you mentioned, you asked if it's good for, for, for Pittsburgh somehow that we just kind of let him go as opposed to keep him around or, or try to get a, a, a transfer fee or something. And I think after thinking about it, it, it the thousand dollars, couple grand we would get at, at best from a transfer fee isn't worth the 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 quote unquote goodwill that we could possibly garner from other players if they when they, if they see the situation because Bob is a tough player to coach and he hasn't chased good players away from Pittsburgh but there are instances where guys are tired of Bob and ready to see something else so I think it is helpful that we have a better uh, upper management to player. Uh, uh, chemistry kind of thing going on. I, I guess that's I guess that's what I'm leaning now after thinking why didn't we just hold on to him and, and ask Indy for a transfer? It sucks he's going to Indy, and I'm also in general very disappointed that he hasn't panned out the way he has. Um, as I think both of you might agree with me here, they he looked really good for the first couple of games, including the the really nice goal he scored in his in his debut. 
I thought he was super dangerous the couple years that he was in Loudon. Um, and this is this would have been his like perfect situation because like the the outside back is probably his best position, and we utilize him so much. And his family's here. Like obviously, his dad is the coach at at Duquesne. Like his entire family is here. They're not going to see him go play for Indy necessarily. Um, and it's 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 just disappointing the way the whole thing panned out. I don't know how it happened because I don't think one bad game at Vegas is going to it's going to keep him off the roster for two or three games afterwards, let alone a dozen. So I think I got all of it out. There you go. Take a nice deep breath and this yeah. Nice. Uh Storino, what are your thoughts about the Hounds just letting him essentially walk to a to a team in the conference as opposed to either just just stashing him on the roster and and kind of eating that spot, assuming he, he just didn't have a, a path back to back to, to being on the bench or even starting. As, or, uh, or trying to force some sort of compensation to let him go to Indy. Uh, you okay with just letting him walk as opposed to the other options? Uh, I think it, I mean, as, as far as, you know, am I okay with him walking? I would say I would have liked to have seen something come out of the deal, but I think it speaks about how Bob is just as a guy and as a coach. I think he is the type of guy who is never going to stand in the way of a player seeing progression. Um, if, like, you know, if Dan Brock wasn't going to get the time in Pittsburgh and personally he thought that he needed to go elsewhere to get more playing time, Bob probably agreed with that. He didn't have a slot for him. Um, sucks he went within conference, but I don't think Bob's going to stand in the way of any player looking to progress their game in any given way. So I think he just let him free just simply because he's a, he's a solid guy. I don't think Bob wanted to keep a guy around, not necessarily like if you don't want to be here, get the hell out type of situation. I think it's more so like, you know what, you're right. You're going to actually progress your game. Um, I'll let you go. Good luck. Now, does anyone find it? needlessly generous to let him make the switch the week that we're playing Indy? It could have waited a week, right? I think it should have waited a week. <laughs> I'm not sure if he has enough time to assimilate into Indy's roster. It's also quite a uh, fuck you move that even if he does, that we care about Indy so little because the rest of their team has been hot garbage this year that we don't care if Dan brought makes the roster for the 18 this week or not. They're certainly not seeing them in the playoffs. That's for sure. So, and I was trying to, that was what I was looking at today was where does Dan Brock fit in, in Indy. And after a couple of moves that Indy made earlier in the year, they don't have a true left back on the roster until now. So assuming that Dan Brock stays in that kind of left back spot, he might get slotted right into the right into the starting eleven. Uh, they've their captain Aose Perez, uh, who's more of a left fielder, was basically doing time as a left back to make it work, so he can move back to a more natural position for him. Dan bought slots as as uh, the left back, and I think there is a more than reasonable chance that we see Dan brought in in checkers on Saturday night. 
speaking then of I hope, what sorry then i hope dixon tears him up there we go <laughs> probably will happen Re- respectfully respectfully <laughs> what uh, it just I it should have fo- wait it should have waited a week it really should have it probably should have yeah i think i'm even it okay with letting him letting him walk because you're going to get a ham sandwich for him and a transfer fee but make it wait a week it just that's weird needlessly weird I mean, do you, you know. think that do do you think the hounds didn't know where his destination was specifically? Is that possible? No, because he was already there. I think the the indie release mentioned. Yeah, he's been right? there for like a week now. Yeah, what the hell? I mean, I, I guess it, is it plausible that he he just said, "Hey, I have an opportunity to get minutes elsewhere. Can I get my release?" But then not mention where and. No one from the Hounds cared to ask. No, no one, no one checked their snap map and see where he was on. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't. He, they had to know what, because that would. I mean, they just assumed he was at the NASCAR race or something. Likewise, how this might help relations with player agents going forward that that the Hounds would let him walk like this. That on the reverse, that would be really shitty from an agent standpoint. To do that to the hounds, not mention where you want him to go, like that relationship has to work both ways, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I would, I, I will close on this. I would not be surprised if Dan Brot, uh, is on the field this Saturday in Indianapolis, which is a perfect transition to talking about the game in Indianapolis on Saturday night. Uh, 7 p.m. kickoff at the mic at IUPUI. Indy currently sits on in ninth place on 22 points. That puts them nine points back at the playoff line. In their past five, they are zero wins, four losses, and a draw. One of those losses is against the Hounds. They have not won since June 4th. Uh, their XG differential sits at a negative 0.48, which is the fourth worst in the East, basically behind all the two teams. In uh, the last time the Hounds went to Indy, a little over a year ago, Martin Rennie basically threw up his hands and said he was done with this shit and was out of a job before the sun came out the next day. Now they got Mike Lowry in charge, and uh, kind of like we talked about a, a month or so ago, he brought some of his El Paso players with them, uh, but they have not been able to replicate the 2021 El Paso success. Uh, Storino, what, what are you looking forward to in this game? Uh, I mean... The one thing I'm looking forward to in this game is not seeing football lines as I watch the game on TV. But there's a big Jaguar head in the middle of the field now. I'll probably take that over the football lines. That's (laughs) so much less problematic than the NFL lines. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly the biggest thing I'm looking forward to in this game is not seeing NFL lines. Um, And I think this is just an easy win, to be honest with you. I think we're walking in and out of Indy with three points. No question. I mean, Indy is – the thing that I like – from a hound standpoint, Indy is slow as shit. And if there's a thing that gives the hounds fits, it's it's teams with pace. Um, even though Miami has it and doesn't know how to use it, apparently. Uh, <laughs> the, the fact that they are a, a slow, laboring, matriculate the ball up the field as best you can type of side. Despite, forget the, the standings and the records, all stuff, just as a matchup standpoint, uh, I think the Hounds match up with Indy very, very well. And 
Lowry was not able to fully implement what he wants to do. He probably wasn't given the correct resources to make it happen. Um, but yeah, Yak, what uh, what do you have your eyes on come Saturday night? Uh, so to your point, Indy is slow. Indy's offense is anemic, and their passing sucks. So um, I think we should all perhaps be on the lookout for uh, a when playing it out the back goes wrong especially with how good the press looked against Tulsa at times. Um, I think the Hounds could absolutely suffocate Indy in their There was a couple times third. this past weekend where it looked like that could have happened. Close calls, yeah. Um, I think the Steel Army Twitter account mentioned this uh, specifically for the league, but Indy's had more like midseason transfers or trades than any team I've noticed in the last five or six years I've followed the Hounds. Um, the goalkeeper that they're going to play is Sean Lewis. He's, he's all right, but he didn't play for Pittsburgh or he didn't play against Pittsburgh because he wasn't on the team yet. No, they, um, they, they, they traded for him like a couple of days before. Right. And he did not play. And it was fun. Cause I got the, I got to bitch and yell at, at whoever was their keeper last time that he was going to be out of a job in a week. And I was right. <laughs> in fact, you were correct. Um, they uh, they they traded for some dude from Rio Grande Valley on on the back on the defensive back who's not that good. I don't know what was appealing to him. I think they're just completely grasping at straws just to have some semblance of 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 meaningfulness in their season because I think they're pretty much dead in the water. I think they made a bunch of signings and didn't realize that everybody was a year or two older past their most useful date, and Indy's just a, a shell of what they. What their uh, player's salary Hackworth. probably in Hackworth is oh, my man is he's got to be done. Um, so their biggest threats are probably Stefani Pino, who leads the team with seven goals, and Manuel Artiaga, who sets up a lot and is is pretty dangerous in the attacking midfield. Aside from that, I don't know. There's a bunch of dudes I've never heard of, and then whatever the shell of Solomon Asante is on the on the yeah, that guy has done jack too. shit for them too. I mean, if you just look at the names on paper, they should be something, right? Or they should have maybe, been. Some, they should have been something in 2019. Maybe in the year of our Lord 2019, but not this year. Yeah. Um, That's a real shame. So anyway, before I before I finish, uh, fourth worst in goals, last in shots in the league, uh, second lowest in passes, I think, third lowest in shots on target. Indy's just bad left to right. And they're they're having like a total meltdown with their fan base as well, which is chef kiss beautiful. Yeah, I'm I'm motioning it behind the the mic here. Yeah, because it couldn't happen to a better group of people, huh? <laughs> Fuck them. Hey, it's time for the midweek wagering bonanza, uh, where we give our predictions uh, wagering wise on the games that are going to be done by the time you listen to this podcast. Um, but that's how we roll. Uh, Yak, you want to lead us off? What do you got? No, I don't because I'm in, in pain. I've lost so much fake money recently. Um, so Memphis and the Red Bulls, sugar-free Red Bulls have played earlier today. So I bet one unit on both teams to not score as well as one unit plus 800 on the scoreline to be precisely two to nothing. Oh, and you were and so for- close for about 85 minutes, I was looking swell because it was two to nothing, and then the Red Bulls got a got a goal late. So I already lost those two bets. 
I also have one unit on a tie uh, in New Mexico and Sacramento, which is currently tied after about a half hour as I talk. That's at plus 260 odds. Nice. Uh, I took Sacramento and New Mexico, the game that's currently going on. I took the under one half goals, one unit at plus 255. Again, we're third of the way through the game, and that's looking okay for me so far. Uh, Storino, what do you got for the kids? Uh, looks like both of mine hit. They did um, hit. But I still don't, I don't really understand the gambling aspect of it. But I took Memphis to score first, two units at minus 225. And my other unit I used as a Memphis win um, for one unit, and that was at negative 185. I have no idea what those negative numbers mean, but uh, I know I've hit both of those. So, so I'm ranking in fake money this week. Yep. Uh, going on to uh, Vesti, he took the New Mexico money line at uh, plus 105 at a unit. Uh, and then he also joined on the, the hopped on the, the no on both teams to score for New York Memphis. So he lost that bet. Uh, that's a real shame. Logan, he went, uh, he went MLS today. Uh, he went handy Mukhtar to score for Nashville at plus one ninety five. Where I want to see another game. Oh, that's a ten thirty start. So we will have to, we'll have to find out about that later on. Uh, but yeah, for not knowing much about what you're doing on this uh, on this betting stuff, Serena, you usually have a decent record. I do. I wish someone was truly keeping track because uh, I'm either owed a lot of beers or a lot of fake money. I don't know which. Hmm. I know which one I value more. <laughs> right. Glad to learn uh, what BTTS stood for today too. So hey, you're supposed to save that for what? What did we learn today? Ah, true. Yeah. Yeah. So hold I on, hold on to that. that. You'll, you can say it again here in about five minutes. Uh, Stu Army, some kind of wrap up of some Stu Army news. Uh, as we mentioned, after this weekend, the Hounds are going to be back home against Memphis. Uh, it's going to be a battle, most likely for third place. Going to be a big one. Um, Memphis, at, no, now they've won the night. They're kind of getting back on track. They've been a bit woeful for the month leading up to this today. Uh, so definitely an opportunity for the Hounds to, to win both halves, both ends of that of the double with Memphis. Uh, again, hopefully good weather. We might get back to another, you know, 4,500 plus attended type of game. Uh, so get out the high mark, get your friends out the high mark. It will be a swell time. Uh, Aloudon away is looking like it's going to be a pretty well attended road trip for everyone. That's Sunday, September 4th. That is a holiday weekend. So no worry about getting back for work on Monday. Cause, uh, there's a good chance you will not be at work on that Monday. Uh, ticket details should be out in the next week or so. We'll talk about it here on, on Houndsy. Uh, we'll be on the Stu Army Discord. If you are a Stu Army member, it will be in a dispatch, but we will do our best to get ticket information out for everyone. Uh, I mean, it sounds like there could be a, at least a dozen plus people ready to go, maybe closer to 20 people ready to make the trip to Loudoun. I would say the last trip to Loudoun, uh, but we can discuss this when we get closer to that game. Loudon may not be um, as done with the USL as some of these other two teams. Uh, we will have to investigate that, but then we'll save that for, for a couple weeks from now. And then this uh, next week for the Memphis game, um, we don't have the details yet, so we'll talk about it more next week. We're going to look at some form or version of a uh, school supply drive, um, a couple of 
members have asked about something to that effect, and we're going to try and make it happen. We're trying to work with a couple uh, different entities or groups to see what the best way to do this is. Uh, so we will have more information for you next week on the show. Uh, but if you have anything lying around, uh, just hold on to it, and we'll have a, a place for you to, uh, to hand it off here in, in 10 days or so. With that said, um, guys, any final thoughts? Anything you want to share with the classroom about what you learned today? Uh, Starina, what do you got? Uh, well, other than what I mentioned before, BTTS, both teams to score. I had no idea what that stood for, and it drove me insane trying to figure that out until I finally asked. But uh, I did learn this week that it is pretty hard to sneak on the floor of a concert. Um, Yak, I know you <laughs> attended Rage Against the Machines you know, last week or whenever that was. Um, had a blast. Concert was amazing. Um, no matter how many times I name dropped my uncle, who's an usher there, the guy just did not play ball. Um, we had six total tickets, two seats, four on the floor. I ended up being one of the guys that took a seat thinking, ah, about halfway through the show, I could probably sneak down there pretty easily. Did not happen. Uh, I could not, uh, woo the guy enough to let me down on the floor, but, uh, still had great seats for rage. Um, that was a hell of a concert great way to kick off a two-week uh, spurt of concerts i got a day to remember next tuesday and then i have metallica right after the hounds game so that's what i learned i got a lot of friends go, i got a lot of friends going to metallica in a couple weeks pnc we're uh we're gonna be yeah we're actually gonna be all in oxford ohio which is basically in indiana and there's gonna be all of us that kind of i won't be but uh, everyone else trying to haul ass back to Pittsburgh for that Metallica show at PNC Park. Uh, Storino, future suggestion for you when you want to sneak onto the floor of a show. Conga line. They never That's break what up. I was trying to, they never yeah, break up a conga line. I was trying to implement it. I couldn't get the four guys on the floor to come up to us. Yeah. I said, I need you four to come up here and pretend you need to take a pee break. Two of you guys give us your phones that have the tickets, and we just go down every other. And none of those guys wanted to lose their spot. Mm. One guy, they, they, they kind of broke up in the crowd. And one guy was like three from the stage. And he's like, I'm not moving. So, yeah, I couldn't get the troops to be rallied enough to uh, get us down there. Kind of bummed me out. But regardless, yeah. hell of a show. But may uh, never see those guys in Pittsburgh again. Had to be attended. But, yeah, conga line. If you ever have to get past close to the, close to the stage, um, security will not break up a conga line. It's just the, just the truth of a concert. Uh, Yak, yeah. what do you got for the for the crowd? My my uh, thing I learned today, Rainbow, is actually related to that show um, because I noticed today that we so Rage Against Machine upcharged a lot of their tickets to donate um, to local charities, and I saw on Instagram today that we outraised the shit out of Cleveland, which was the show oh, yeah. prior to the Pittsburgh show of Rage. Big time, big time. That was cool. So that's what I learned today. How was your Rage experience? Um, so in the, the fourth song, somebody passed out on me, and I thought I was going to die. And the last song, I made a decision that I would be okay with dying during this song. Um, I did. I was on the floor, and it was very, very intense. I'm not surprised Serino's friends couldn't or maybe wouldn't get out of wherever their spots were because it got very, very tight very, very quickly. 
The guy um, that passed out, was that the guy Dave stopped the show for to make sure yes. it was okay? Yes. Really? Yes. So he basically kind of in a way pointed at you, but at the guy in front of you that passed out on the floor. Yeah, he got a little bit past me by the time they stopped the show, but basically he would because the temperature of the floor went up by like 20 degrees, like the second Rage took the, uh, the stage, um, I think all of his drunkenness finally hit him. He's trying to leave and walked in front of me and then kind of like more or less fell on my chest. Wow. Um, and he kept walking slash his friend was able to drag him a couple people more to my right, but he couldn't get all the way off of the floor because the floor was just a mob of people from left to right. That's um, insane. And at that point, I think he was in pretty big trouble and they managed to flag down the singer and stop the show. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Uh, at first, I kind of, I wouldn't say I thought it was staged, but it was just kind of like, it seems like that's kind of been a thing that you've been seeing on like the socials where, you know, be there bands and or just, you know, rappers or performers in general stop a show to make sure somebody in the crowd's okay. So I'm not going to say I thought it was staged, but it just kind of seemed weird. But then you could tell it was actually legit whenever you saw Tom looking at the other guys, like trying to get the countdown, like, all right, where are we going to pick back up to actually like continue playing the song? So you, you could tell that it was unplanned. Um, not to carry on too much about the rage thing, but two quick other things about that show, two or three rows in front of me. Um, I mean, a concert like that, it's not to, not to anybody's surprise, but they were smoking a ton of weed um, drinking pretty heavily, and the girl was heavily intoxicated. At one point, she stood up, put her hand to her mouth, and threw up all over the people in front of her. Hey, um, it was this... terrible. But it oh, was hysterical. No. But it was oh, far no. enough away that I was, I was able got, to watch as, it, as someone who was not it. in the row in front, it was funny as shit. Oh my yeah, god! I got to enjoy watching that. I thought it was hysterical. I felt so bad for those people, and all that all that they did was bring down a roll of paper towels and a mop. <laughs> those people just had to sit there for probably at least another hour or more for that concert with puke on their back. It was hysterical. Man, and then, like... yeah, you'll agree, it was hysterical. Um, at one point, he stopped the show um, to give a shout out to a Steeler. <laughs> everybody was like kind of excited and kind of on like like oh who's who's here who's here and then he shouts out franco harris and everybody in the crowd you could tell was looking for like a spotlight or something and they never showed where franco was but they shouted out franco harris during the show and thanked him for coming to this, the concert it was the most random thing i thought it was hysterical because you could tell the whole crowd was like, oh, cool, Franco's here, and everybody's looking around, and there's a bunch of people in boxes standing up and waving, and at no point did they ever put a spotlight on Franco so that people could see where Franco was. I'm pretty positive he was to the left of the stage by the basis, like in the suites, maybe at close to center ice. Okay, I, and you're probably right, but I could tell you that as he said that, I was looking around trying to figure out, are they going to put a spotlight somewhere? I could not find it myself. Anywhere. I have no idea where he was. I feel like you missed a hell of a show now. Yeah, that was, I mean, I've been to a lot of concerts. That was definitely a top two or three show that I've been to. And Run to Jules was great. Killer Mike and LP, that was a hell of a show, but Rage killed it. Well, I don't think I can, uh, I can top that all. Uh, I did a, they did, uh, Garbage stopped their concert uh, a couple weeks ago at, at the rock scene because someone was getting sick or something like that. But 
not nearly as impressive trying to get out of uh, the rock scene as as opposed to the floor at, at uh, Consol. So, yeah. Oh well. Uh, anything else, guys? Or should we send this bad boy home? Wrap it up. I'm content. Okay. Let's go home. Uh, we'd like okay, to thank so. the Beautiful Game Network for providing the online hosting of Houndsy. Check out the wealth of soccer content being produced weekly at bgn.fm. The Houndsy theme music was composed and performed by Rocketman and the Space Babies. Check them out at facebook.com slash spacebabiespgh. The show is produced by Joe Majorek. Email the show at steelarmypgh at gmail.com and put podcasts in the subject line. All complaints about the show can be sent to nick.noble at mail.wvu.edu. On behalf of Yak and Storino, I'm Dan Yost. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back again soon.